Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, it looks like I'm going to have to learn how to pronounce Nazocha. In a battle with Captain Andrew Luck, we brought reinforcements. Eric Crocker joins us for Arrow Up, Arrow Down, and it is roster prediction time. Chris Biederman from the Sacramento Bee joins us to talk about the key decisions the 49ers have to make in order to get down to 53 as the team gets down to cut day. But first, an announcement about the podcast. We are now an official SB Nation podcast and will continue to be a part of the Niners Nation podcast. And that's super exciting for the podcast in general, because what does it mean? It means that the feed changes a bit. We've moved over to Art19, which is a more modern platform. But it also means that we're going to share a feed with all or any future Niners Nation podcasts. We want this feed to be your one-stop shop for Niners news and for Niners podcasts as we grow. Your subscription will still be up to date. Uh, Unless you were on SoundCloud, then you'll have to subscribe to one of the main feeds. But if you were subscribed to one of the other Better Rivals feeds that will seamlessly move over, you've got to do nothing. It also means that you'll start hearing ads on the show sometime soon. We're not running ads quite yet, but you will hear them at some point in the near future. Overall, the same content that you've been getting over the last five or six years will continue on the Better Rivals podcast. All it means is that we're going to be better equipped to bring you that podcast. And in the future, you might be able to get a more varied set of podcasts by doing nothing but staying subscribed to this feed. So we're super excited, but that's why you've seen some of the artwork changes and some of the glitches with the feed over the last few weeks. Rest assured, we're working through all of those issues and we'll get them resolved shortly. But I'm super excited to be a part of the SB Nation podcast and think it's going to be great for the future of the show. So without further ado, let's get to the rundown and let's get to friend of the pod, Chris Biederman, beat writer for the Sacramento Bee. All right, Chris, welcome back to the Better Rivals podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Awesome. Well, let's get to the rundown first. Let's talk about a couple of stories real quick before we get to the dress rehearsal review. Number one was a quick video the Ringer put out a couple days ago about who were this year's Eagles. And they, of course, they had the Niners as the sexy pick based on the power of Kyle Shanahan's scheme. Uh, and it just got me thinking, I'm, I'm curious what your record prediction for the, Niner, for the Niners are this year. Uh, I think when I went through it, when, when the schedule came out in April, I had them at 10 and 6. Um, and I think I, that even came uh, after starting 1 and 3 with those, those uh, the, the rough September schedule uh, might make things a little bit difficult. But they have a pretty home friendly schedule uh, towards the end of the towards the end of the season. So I think I have 10 and six. Um, but the obvious caveat is is health. And, and obviously, they need Jimmy Garoppolo to be healthy. They need they probably need Jarek McKinnon uh, to be healthy. And, you know, their key players on defense to be healthy too. Uh, Ruben Foster has to stay in the field. Richard Sherman has to has to be something like, you know, 75, 80 percent of the player he was last year. Um, so I think 10 and six is is probably on the optimistic side. Uh, but but I think based on what we saw those over those final five games last year and, and just uh, believing in, you know, another year in the system for Jimmy Garoppolo and and the rest of the offensive players having a better understanding of Kyle Shanahan's system, I, I think that's that's a possibility. But but it's a pretty high variance team. They could they could just as easily go, you know, seven and nine if if they don't get good injury luck or, or some things don't go their way. So um, I would say 10 and six is, is probably where I would where I would fall right now. Um, but but that could obviously change with with health and, and other factors. All right. And one question I've asked lots of people that have come on the show, mostly because I love cheeseburgers and I'm kind of obsessed with them. <laughs> uh, and I just want to know the spots to get cheeseburgers whenever I'm traveling around uh, is what is your favorite cheeseburger? Cheeseburger. OK, I was thinking about this right before we came on. Um, I live in San Mateo at the moment, and there's a really good place within walking distance of my spot called Jack's Prime. Um, and they do really good burgers. And, and it's just kind of a really cool uh old timey diner type place. And I'm sure a lot of 49ers fans familiar with San Mateo and who live on the peninsula are probably familiar with it. Um, so Jack's prime is probably my favorite local spot right now. Uh, but I never turned down in and out and I'm definitely on team in and out over, uh, over In-N-Out. five guys. No, man, I had a feeling you were going to say that, you know, I thought, <laughs> I thought we could be friends. I really did. Uh, and then, and then you lay that at my feet and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with it. I'm hurt. It cuts me deep. I mean, I, I appreciate all the extra toppings and stuff, but just, I can't, I can't get behind the bag of fries. It's just like sopping with grease and, and the buns just being soggy that I just, it's, it's not really my thing. We have different criterias for life, man. And it's okay. That's, 
Yeah, that's acceptable. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Eli Harold being traded because okay. I think the the prevailing sentiment, which I think is a solid one, is that Sam just isn't something that is on the field very often in today's NFL. And so with that, you need a player that can kind of play Sam but also do some other things. And, and I think that's exciting because John Lynch referencing that makes me think that they're looking at the NFL through the modern NFL lens. They're looking at players like Fred Warner who are good coverage defenders. They're looking at players that can rush the edge and not just be that stout Sam linebacker. And Eli Harold just didn't provide much as an edge defender or a pass rusher. So I think it's pretty exciting. I think it's great. I mean, they got a, a half of a ham sandwich for him, but he was likely going to get cut anyway. So I'm glad that he's with a team that maybe he can latch onto. Yeah, it was surprising, but but I think after thinking about it, um, you know, he was a, he was probably the team's best Sam linebacker and their best edge setter in the running game in those packages, but he's not particularly good in coverage and he's not a particularly good pass rusher. And so you look at, you know, what, like you said, what, what the modern NFL values. And if he's not doing either of those things, um, then he has a little value to the 49ers and, and he was, you know, entering a contract year and they weren't going to give him a new deal. So I guess it makes sense. I'm curious to see how it changes their defense. I know we talked last week about, um, different options they might try on the edge. I think DeForest Buckner is going to see more time on the edge uh, than we initially anticipated when training camp started. And I think part of that is because of what Sheldon Day has done in, uh, as a pass rusher along the interior. So I think we're going to see um, the 49ers mix it up a little bit more on the edge than just having guys like Cassius Marsh and Jeremiah Tauchu be their primary edge defenders. And it could be that uh, that guy ends up being DeForest Buckner and maybe a little bit more Solomon Thomas and, and Eric Armstead too. So interestingly enough, Eli Harold had, at least this preseason, uh, did not rank super well when it came to stopping the run. Uh, 50 was his grade based on Pro Football, based on pro football Focus's grading. Uh, there were other players that ranked uh, quite a bit higher. Actually, he was that's last on the team so far this preseason. Uh, so maybe, maybe it was time for him to move on, and, and I think that it definitely is going to be good to offer another player uh, some, some opportunities to win that role, which we'll talk a little bit about maybe P to T and some players a little bit later. Uh, last question really quickly. Uh, yes or no? Cam Inman threw out the idea that the 49ers might move on from Garcon in a youth movement. Uh, do you think that happens? Yes or no? No. Yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's I about, don't. Uh, I think know. Someone, someone like Kendrick Bourne, who, who I expect, expected to make the team, and I, I know a lot of people expected based on what they did last year, I think his spot is much more up in the air than, than people realize um, just because of Richie James and, and um, Aaron Burbridge, what he does on special teams. Uh, so no, I, I think our song's pretty safe, but I, I'm very curious to see what happens with Kendrick Bourne and, and the rest of the receiving core. And now let's turn our attention to the third preseason game against the Indianapolis Colts. And to help us break down the game, we welcome Eric Crocker. You can find him on Twitter at Croc time. He's also the host of the fourth and nine podcast. He is a former NFL and AFL player who's here to help us talk about the players that did well and the players that didn't do so well in the game against the Colts. Eric, thanks for joining the show, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. So let's talk about some some players that we thought did really well, some players that we thought didn't do so well in the game against Indianapolis. Of course, it is the preseason dress rehearsal, the game where the starters play the most, where you're maybe worried about injuries but overall can get the more accurate picture of player performance, even if you're not looking at scheme because the teams don't scheme all that much. Uh, so I'd love to hear who your first player arrow up was the first player you thought did a great get, had a great game against the Colts. I'd say Alfred Morris. Well, he's, he's the big one, right? So, so he had <laughs> a really, really good game. He had what, like 86 yards rushing and he looked a lot better than a lot of the running backs that we've seen this preseason so far. Right. I mean, and you say 86 yards, it, it should have been over a hundred yards, but um, he had a couple of big carries uh, called back, you know, for, you know, holding illegal formation. Um, so, you know, those things that, you know, definitely our offense wants to clean up, but he still, you know, he still did his thing, you know, throughout the first half, you know, should have had over a hundred yards in the first half. That, that's big time, especially since we've been struggling so much on the ground. Yeah, he had his first run, I think, called back, and it was a 17-yard run. And and I think the, the thing that's interesting about Alfred Morris is that Shanahan has made reference to, to something often, and that's a running back's ability to get more yards than are blocked for him. That, of course, was the big knock on Joe Williams coming out of college, was that he didn't generate more yards than the line blocked for him. When he had those long, explosive runs, it's because he had a hole big enough for a Mack truck to walk through. Alfred Morris made... <laughs> 
cuts in the backfield and he made the decision on his third step as is taught by you know the, the Gibbs tree on that outside zone run and and he really kind of got the most out of what the the line was able to block for him and he looked really really good he really did yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've seen some of the other running backs get stopped in the backfield, and it's easy to, to say just, oh, there, there's no hole there, there's no lane there. Um, but we saw with him, he was able to, you know, kind of avoid those or elude those, you know, first uh, defenders and and make big gains out of, of what looked like nothing was really there. So um, I know a lot of people said that it was the blocking that did good, but I thought it was more of his vision kind of creating those 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 longer runs yeah i think you're absolutely right he did he did have some really good vision there was one play that i tweeted out i did a little bit of, of tweeting about the run game last night and there was one play where really the only block that was successful was weston richburg's block at the center and both guards had their player get upfield, and he was able to sidestep one guy read the center block and get positive yardage on a play that I don't know that some of the players that we've seen in the preseason thus far would get positive yardage. And, and, and so I think you're absolutely right. He, his vision was, was good. And I think he makes the team based on the strength of that one game. I think he makes the team. Yeah, I hope so. And, and I've just kind of been uh, going back and forth with, my, with myself and I kind of wanted to take the Twitter with it, but you know, if he makes a team and, and obviously they're probably going to end up carrying four running backs, who's the inactive guy? That's that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know that you make any of them inactive. And if you do, I think that it's got to be Morris. I think that Shanahan looks at Morris as both insurance and as a tool. I think Shanahan really wants a big back. Uh, and, and he knows that McKinnon is his kind of all-purpose receiving back. And, and Brita is more of his his scat back. And and that's not a knock on Brita. That's just that Brita is very, very good at the outside zone run. Um, and he can be good at, at running inside. But I think Shanahan wants a big back. And I think that Morris fits more of that mold that that he thought Joe Williams would fit, which is a big back with some speed. And even if Morris isn't as fast as him, Morris is more technically sound and I think has better vision. And I think that makes up for some of the speed deficiencies that uh, that you would have for a running back that his size. Right. I mean, if he keeps ripping off, you know, 15, 17 yard runs, I don't think anybody's going to care about his top end speed. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. All right, so the next player that I've got arrow up, and that's going to be Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas had a great game against Indianapolis. He was the highest graded defender based on Pro Football Focus's grading. His 88.8 overall grade put him near elite status. He had two stops on just nine run snaps. This is what Solomon Thomas does. He's a very, very good run defender, and he had a great, he did, had a great run defense game against Indy. He absolutely destroyed Braden Smith at right guard with a swim move that he probably learned from DeForest Buckner. Um, the only knock was that he missed the the tackle on the sack against Andrew Luck, and he just kind of bounced off of him. But overall, I thought Solomon Thomas uh, played a fantastic game coming back from his concussion, and he played more inside, even if inside was still aligned outside of the tackle. Right, and I think that's what a lot of people wanted to see. Um, I think the narrative was that he was a better inside rusher than outside, and so far it's been uh, proven true. Um, you know, him next to, to Buckner, that's... That's going to cause a lot of trouble for for a lot of guards. So um, it's, it's excited, it's exciting to see him kind of putting everything together. You know, he missed all of last uh, OTAs uh, last year. Um, so you know, just having just that extra time with the 49ers, um, you know, with the the you know working with a pass rush specialist, uh, it seems like it's all you know working out for him, and he looks primed to have a, a big year. I hope so. That's pretty much. I mean, if he had made that sack, that would have been two sacks in two games that he's played in. So. I mean, you know, if he kind of keeps that type of ratio up, he'll be a pretty damn good uh, interior rusher. No, I, I agree hardly. He's he's my breakout player of the year this year. I I hope that he breaks out. I think he will, and and it'll be interesting to see him playing in more of a natural position when they move him inside on passing downs. And I think he's still a fantastic run defender out on the edge at weak side or strong side defensive end. So I think he's going to have uh, a good season overall. And he's gonna. I think he's going to prove some of those naysayers wrong that were like, "Oh my God, we drafted him third. Um, I think he'll be all right this year, and I'm excited for his season because I think he's he's going to have a good year. All right, so I, get- I think and where they where they did him, they didn't do him a solid. Was I think they tried to make him into something that he really wasn't. And and when you take somebody that high, you kind of want either somebody that's really like a big plugger in the middle or an an edge rusher. And he was kind of a mixed of both. And they tried to force him into being an edge rusher, and he's not that. So. I think they didn't do him any, you know, any favors where they played him last year. And, you know, according to PFF, he was uh, poorly graded 
Um, he was like in the poor uh, section of their, their grading scale. Um, but as an interior rusher, we saw a lot of flashes and, you know, on early downs, it looks like he's a good um, big end. But that interior rush in, in sub package looks like where he's going to make his money. Yeah, you know, it's surprising and, and, and not surprising all at the same time to think that what a player does well in college, you should just continue to do that in the NFL because they're probably going to do that well in the NFL as well. And we see that with Josh Jackson, right? And I don't want to go down that tangent because I know that you're, as a former defensive back, you probably have lots of thoughts about Josh Jackson. But he, <laughs> he's had some good preseason snaps this year. And, and he was the highest graded PFF rated uh, defensive back in college last year. And it's like, well, yeah, this is the first football that he's played since he was dominating people at Iowa. Of course, he's going to have some pretty good snaps in the preseason. And, and I think the <laughs> yeah. Niners maybe lost a little bit of sight of that with Solomon Thomas. And, you know, I, I probably did, too, because I thought he was going to be a, a really good edge rusher just based on his athletic profile. But I think overall... The, the Niners are finally putting him in a place where he he is better suited and playing kind of the inside and then outside on, on, on rundowns. And, and I think it's going to be good, I think, overall for, for Solomon Thomas. Sorry, right, give me your next uh, arrow up player, someone else we thought did really well against Indy. Uh, I'll say uh, Fred Warner. Um, I mean, man, I, when we drafted him, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I saw some film on him, like, pre-draft, and I saw, like, uh, a decent linebacker, but... You know, he was more kind of in a slot type role, almost like a Minka Fitzpatrick role. Um, he wasn't just an interior linebacker like they have him now playing Mike. So just to kind of go from that, oh, he's a coverage linebacker to somebody that's been a fantastic run stuffer. Um, I'm totally blown away by how he's done the last two games. And I just can't help but be super excited. I'm trying to, you know, tone back on it a little bit. But he, he looks like he's he's headed in the right direction for sure. Yeah. He had a 78.5 run defense grade against Indianapolis. And that's pretty damn good. That that's up near the, the high quality area. Uh, and, and so as a linebacker, I think you're absolutely right. I, I'm super excited about Fred Warner. I think that, you know, the, the thing that we learned about the Niners when they drafted him was that they view coverage in the NFL the way that they should, which is the the coverage defense matters, especially at the linebacker position. And the middle of the field is where offenses and quarterbacks feast. And if you can get a player like Fred Warner, who's an overhang defender, who can defense, uh, who can defend the pass, and then also get him some run defense skills, it's uh, it's good. I think it, it's overall it's good for the defense. And so I'm excited about Fred Warner. You know, my next guy is actually going to be Weston Richburg. West, I tweeted an ode to Weston Richburg last night because he had his best preseason game in the game where he wanted it to, to be his best game, and that was in that third pre, uh, the dress rehearsal game. His 88.7 overall grade uh, was good, but his run blocking grade was 91.8, which put him fully in the elite category. His reach blocks were fantastic. The whole point of a reach block is to wall your guy off or wash him out. And that's really, really hard to do when you've got to go to like the opposite a gap, which he did a couple of times. His movement on the second level was really good. Part of the reason that Alfred Morris was able to gain the yards that he did, I thought was because of Weston Richards block uh, blocks along the, the center of the offensive line. And it is that position that makes the Shanahan run game go as we know, because of Alex Mack. And so overall I thought Weston Richburg Paying, he's proving exactly why the Niners paid as much money as they did to get him. Yeah, and he kind of had some negativity uh, attached to his name, you know, because of last week, the double penalties. But um, outside of that, he's been playing fairly well. And it seems like he's getting more and more comfortable with what they want him to do. Um, I agree, you know, having his best game um, against the Colts in the dress rehearsal, that was big time, probably, you know, even more for him, you know, for his confidence going forward. So, um, I mean, you know, he has a big task ahead uh, playing against the Vikings week one. But, you know, hopefully he, you know, he just continues to, you know, be that nasty, gritty, you know, and, and quick uh, center that we need to kind of make this whole thing uh, work, you know, running the ball. All right. Give me one more player that you thought did really well against Indy. Garnett, man. I mean, it seemed like every time, you know, once he got in the game, I know person started, but once Garnett got in the game, it seemed like he was always downfield, you know, uh, you know, blocking at the next level. Um, he was manhandling guys. He did well in the uh, pass. Pass protection. Um, I know I didn't see his name up there on PFF uh, for one of our high, higher graded guys, but it just seemed like every time I saw him, he was doing good. And I and I didn't see our quarterbacks get pressured too much while he was in. So um, he must have been doing well in the passing game. And, and I know for sure he did well um, in the run game. Yeah, so it's an interesting kind of delta between what we see on tape and, and the grade. I think that he... I, I 
to think that he had a good game. The, the pro football focus grade doesn't necessarily reflect as well as I think he did. Actually, that's not true at all. He, his grade was 65.7, which is, I thought, exactly where it was. It was above average, but not spectacular. I think oftentimes what we lose sight of is that we, we, we lose sight of the expectation for a guard. The guard should be able to move to the second level and engage that linebacker if he's uncovered in his own blocking scheme. The guard shouldn't fall over and fall on his face when he's trying <laughs> to get a block, right? But but we think, oh, look, he did that really well. And it's like, yeah, he, he did do that really well. That's that's what we expect from a guard. He's supposed to do that. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right, right? You, you kind of lose sight of all that. And he had a good game. He had, he had an above-average game. But but even Mike Person had a slightly better game, even if he did so on on fewer snaps. And and I think that both players are good on the move. Mike Person, someone who did test very well at the combine, uh, he did well in three cone. He did well in the twenty cone or the the short shuttle, and, and a couple of other areas where he, I mean he's an athletic dude as well. And I think Kyle Shanahan earlier today said that it was uh, Mike Person's job to lose. I think both the guys are making the team, but I, I think I would be surprised if Mike Person was not the week one starter. Uh, and, and and that's I think. The fact that Garnett has made it this close is a testament to Garnett because I think he's a much better guard, at least in the preseason this year, than he was last year. And, and it's a good thing, too, because, um, you know, regardless of who starts between the two of them, it means you have more depth. And offensive line depth around the league is kind of struggling. So if you have two guys that you believe that, you know, could be starters, um, you're doing a lot better than some of these other teams. So. Are you no, telling me that, I'm fine with that? Are you telling me that Jordan Devy at guard is something that we don't have to look forward to? <laughs> Man, I mean, shoot, even just last year, you know, I mean, Fusco wasn't terrible, but um, it is good to see, you know, just a little bit better pass protection for Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I think uh, I've always been. I've actually been a Fusco supporter. He just won the starting job in Atlanta too. Uh, so similar system to what the, the he wasn't bad. Run. A lot of people make it seem like he was just terrible. Yeah. I, I didn't think he was bad. No, he wasn't bad at all. He wasn't bad at all. But all right, let's get to the arrow down players. Uh, a player that I thought didn't do all that great was one Mr. Cole Hicatini. Uh, and I know that your your opinion on his game wasn't favorable as well. Uh, let me know why you thought Cole didn't have a, a good game. Well, you know, he he has a great opportunity. You know, and when you're at the bottom of the depth chart, sometimes you get these opportunities that just kind of land in your lap. And the opportunity that landed in his lap was... You know, he, he he was on practice squad all of last year, and then now he has Kittle go down. So this is a great time to be able to kind of showcase what you can do. Selig dropped the ball early on. Um, so, you know, that looked bad on his part. And Selig also hasn't been a great, you know, uh, blocker in, run, in the run game. So this is your time to kind of show, okay, this is what I can do, and I can bring something that Selig can't. And he didn't, you know, he hasn't been blocking very well in the run game. Um, he had a ball, and, and it was it was good defense by Hooker, but you have to hold on to that for a touchdown. And that's the difference. You know, our red zone offense has been struggling. Um, you know, a big catch like that, you know, it, it boosts the morale of all the fans. It boosts the morale of how the red zone offense is viewed, and it boosts the, the confidence that the coaches have in you. And dropping that, now is just like, ah, we don't need him. <laughs> that's kind of how I viewed it because he hasn't really done anything else to stand out. You know, he, he's made some good catches here and there. Um, I, I thought for the most part in the first two games against um, lesser competition, he did what he was supposed to do. But now when you're in with the ones and you don't make one of those plays um, and Jimmy Garoppolo is giving you that chance on a beautifully thrown pass. It was a beautiful thrown pass. Um, you got to bring that in. And, and he didn't. So I, I'm going to say Earl pointing down for him because now he's opening the door for a Cole Wick who people are saying played well. So, so as a former defensive back, it, what's Malik Hooker trying to do on that play? Because it looked like he knew he wasn't going to get the big hit, and it looked like he was going straight for that ball. It looked like he poked it out, and I think he did poke it out. I, I, I do think it was still a, a pass that Hickettini has to come down with, but but Hooker did a good job. It was that what Hooker was trying to do was just get to the ball, or or was that more on on Wick? I'm sorry, not Wick. Yeah, no, he he definitely he definitely poked it out. Um, but but with that, when when you're the tight end. You want to get your hands on that ball and quickly turn onto your like, you you catch it and turn to on your back. You kind of roll over so you land on yeah. your back and you and you tuck that ball in tight. Um, and then a lot of times you'll see guys kind of slide and they'll end up sliding on their back. But you know it's a touchdown. Um, he tried to you know just catch it all hands and that allowed Hooker to reach in there. Hooker did exactly what he's supposed to do. Hooker did exactly why people liked him so highly in the draft last season. Um, 
you if you're not there to make a hit on the on you know hit on the player or which you can't even really do anymore but um <laughs> if you, if you're not there to draw the ball loose or make a you know play on the ball to intercept it you fight to the end of the play so you rip at that ball regardless we saw um I don't know if you watch hard knocks but we saw uh Mitchell Mitchell kind of finished the play against Landry Landry got mad and got up and threw the, threw the ball at him um, but you're taught to finish. You play through the whistle, and you just rip at the ball. And that's what Hooker did. He ripped at the ball, knocked it away, saved the touchdown, and ended up you know, only giving up three points instead of seven. Well, Cole Hickatini's 48.2 grade uh, on just 18 snaps was not good. I mean, that's, that's, in the, that's in the poor area. Only three of those snaps were run snaps. The team definitely views Hickatini as a receiving tight end. They don't view him as anything other than that, just based on the way they're using him. He definitely dropped the touchdown pass. And, and while, you know, on this podcast, we've been, uh, we've been very, very uh, for the whole pro-pass movement. What can you do for us in the pass game? And the pass game is paramount. But if you're not even going to do that well because you're, you're dropping kind of key touchdown passes, then your, your roster spot is definitely at risk. His preseason right, grade overall, 49.7. We run a lot of two, two tight end sets as well. Yeah. So, and I think the two um, tight ends are definitely Selick and Kittle. And, and I think, I, I don't think the team is opposed to having a, a completely receiving tight end in Cole Hickatini, but I think he's got to be able to do that receiving thing incredibly well. And he's not doing that right now. And so I think he ends up getting cut uh, and he ends up somewhere near the practice squad. Right. Uh, I agree. All right. So, who's, uh, who's your next arrow down player for the, the Indianapolis Colts game? Um, you know, I brought up Tar- Tarverius Moore. Um, and my, my reasoning for that is, you know, he is transitioning to a new position. Um, I thought that he played well in the first two games. Um, you know, so I wanted to see him get tested a little bit more. I wanted to see him get tested on some underneath routes. He did give up a deep ball, which was, it, it was a beautiful, beautifully thrown pass by, uh, by, um, gosh, what's his name? The black quarterback. The, the, um, the black one, Jacoby Brissett. Brissett, Brissett. Um, they, were, they have two black quarterbacks because even their third string quarterback was black too. <laughs> yeah, all these mobile guys, and, and people wonder why we miss so many sacks. Man, it's like these dudes are like mobile and strong, and they're moving around like that's tough. But aside from that, um, <laughs> Brissett Brissett got popped, man. Like he he got hit hard, and he delivered a like I mean he hit the receiver in stride. So it it wasn't initially it wasn't bad defense. Um, Moore has been doing something that I noticed where he, he kind of. Kind of like what we saw Jimmy Ward do, but just not to the same extent where while he's running down the sideline, when he looks back, he kind of slows down a little bit. So that's something that he needs to work on where while he's downfield and he turns to get his head around, he has to work on turning his head, but still moving full speed. So what, what is the, what's down. the, co- what, you know, I absolutely agree because you look at that play again and he's, he's not, he's a little out of phase, but he's still close enough, especially with his long arm to, to make that play. But then he kind of swerves to the outside near just the last minute. And then you see the wide receiver, of course, bend towards the sideline and make the catch. So, you know, t- he didn't have a good game. 41.2 PFF grade on the game. But I think th- the question I've got for you is what's the coaching point there? What what should the defensive back be doing to prevent that play and, and stay in phase? So you have to control the receiver a little bit more. And you have to look and lean. That's what I call it. So as you're looking, you have to lean on the receiver so you know where he's at. He, he looked without leaning, so now I don't know where the receiver is at. The receiver fades to the ball and catches the ball, and the ball barely goes over his hands. You have to, you have to lean on the receiver, so whether you're sque- squeezing him to the sideline, and if you can't squeeze him to the sideline, at least I control the receiver. I know exactly where he's at as I'm going up for this ball. He, once he turned his head, he didn't know where the receiver was. He just knew he was close to him, and he, the receiver was able to create just, just the right amount of separation to be able to catch the ball. So, yeah. so that, that was the issue there. And, and there was another play um, they caught on him a little bit downfield. Um, DJ Reed came over the top and, and had a nice hit on the receiver. Um, it was actually a tight end, I believe. So it was a, um, the 49ers run a lot of cover three. And it was a two-to-one read. Uh, the tight end went straight up the seam. You'll see uh, Moore kind of get caught up with one of the guys that was on the line of scrimmage. And then he tried to hurry up and get to the uh, two that was uh, going vertical. And he wasn't able to get there on time. Um, in, in that situation, you can't mess with number one too much because you know I have to be able to cover this entire third. Um, and so he was late. He was late getting there. And that's just something that's it's fixable. But um, that, that type of stuff just comes with experience. You know, now that it's happened to him, 
he probably understands like okay it, it was very similar to um the big hit that big play that that uh Akilah Witherspoon made last week when he hit uh was it Braxton Miller and knocked the ball loose um, I don't know if you remember last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Now, now when, when, when you say two to one read, effectively what you're saying is, of course, you count wide receivers outside in. So you go one, two. So it's usually someone near the slot or around the slot. So you've got to carry yes. that two receiver vertical if he does go vertical as kind of your pattern match. And, and that's exactly what Witherspoon did is that that guy went vertical. Right. He peeled off. He hits the guy. Uh, and you're saying that Tavarius Moore is not doing similar things, probably because of his inexperience, both of the position exactly. and in the defense. Now, now there is another the thing that kind of worries me a little bit um he is big he he does have the speed i i think he measured in at his combine or pro day at 6 199 pounds around a 432 and all that one thing i have noticed with him which i i like he's he's extremely patient at the line of scrimmage and stuff but he's not really twitchy and and it's hard to find twitchy bigger defensive backs um a killer witherspoon is actually one of the rare that's why i liked him so much even pre-draft i was like man i just need this to kill a witherspoon dude because he's a 6 3 and he's still twitchy, and that's kind of hard to find. And and Moore isn't that. And Moore is not even as big as a killer with a spoon. And he's still not as twitchy. He kind of moves a little bit more like a safety. Um, he really looks a lot like Tyvis Powell um, last year. I, and I know people probably didn't really pay much attention to Powell when he got in late in the year. But that's kind of how Moore moves. So that's a little worrisome to me, you know, if he's going up against uh, quicker, shiftier receivers. Um but outside of that, I think he has played well. I don't want to, you know, go too hard on him. I just made a thread, and I talked about all the things I liked about him. I'm just kind of going over some of the things now that kind of ca- ca- catch my eye. The more I see him, it kind of worry me a little bit. Well, he's had, you know, kind of up and down coverage games this preseason. He had, uh, he's been around the average area in terms of coverage, but I think that long reception against Indianapolis really dinged him. His coverage grade was just 30.1. Uh, but, you know, I think this is definitely a project. He was a project that is converting to, to defensive back, or re- rather converting to cornerback from safety. Uh, I still like his prospects. I think that he is more than likely the heir apparent, but it's definitely good to get a former defensive back's per, uh, view on, on his transition so far. So I, I think that's, that's, that's some good stuff from, uh, from Eric. But my next player is actually, believe it or not, another uh, highly touted draft pick, and that's going to be Mike McGlinchey. That's a third rounder and a first rounder that haven't had a good game. Mike McGlinchey, this game, he was the second lowest graded starter for the 49ers. Wow. He did not have a great, a great day as a run blocker. Uh, I tweeted some of the plays out last night, and he, he does this thing on, on the front side of outside zones where he only tries to one-arm the guy, and, and he, just, he, he can't do it with one arm. He just can't, and that's not a knock on him. It's just I don't know why he's doing it with one arm. And he got shed a few times on the front side, and number 51 for the Colts was able to make a couple of tackles. And uh, John Simon, number 51, shut him pretty easily. Mm-hmm. On another block on the backside, he completely whiffs. He, he literally ends up on his knees. And he's lucky it was on the backside because Alfred Morris was able to do Alfred Morris things, apparently, and, and still get positive yardage on the play. But this is a player who I think it, it's super interesting that he was touted as being a better run blocker than he was a pass blocker. And that's what we expected so far in the, in the big leagues. And yet what we're seeing so far is that He's actually pretty good as a pass blocker, and, and he's not uh, as consistent as a run blocker. I don't think that it's going to be anything to worry about his prospects long term. It's just interesting to see his growing pains transitioning from a first-round draft pick who was supposedly really good as a run blocker, and now he's kind of whiffing on some run blocks, and it showed in the game against Indianapolis. Yeah, and I've been um, actually a little bit higher. I mean, we... we uh... You know, we had Trent Brown, and, you know, we were all kind of caught off guard a little bit when they picked McGlinchey. Uh, he, he's done fairly well. I think he's had some, you know, he had some tough challenges early on um, and, and some things that he can learn from going up against Demarcus Lawrence. That's pretty much as good as it gets for the most part from an edge rusher perspective. And then next pra- you know, next week he practiced against J.J. Uh, Watt, which was great for his experience. So, you know, we're, we're definitely going to see some ups and downs, but it seems like, um, he's definitely heading in the right direction. You know, even after a bad game, you know, like like against the Colts, kind of everything is a, a a learning a learning lesson. You know, so as long as he can learn from these things and kind of uh, on the fly get a little bit stronger, because you know, like I said, week one you play against the Vikings. Um, you know, early on you have you know Bosa and Ingram coming to town, or we go out there to LA. So uh, you know, he's definitely gonna have some tough challenges early on. That that's 
hopefully should help his uh, growth and not you know, crush his confidence. Yeah, you know, I think that with, with McGlinchey, especially when compared to Trent Brown, I think he will probably start the season a little bit worse than Trent Brown. I think Trent Brown is a little underrated overall as a, a tackle, even if he's not as good in that zone scheme as you would want him to be just because of his, his athleticism and his size, dude. His, right. the, you know, the best picture of him, I think, is a picture of Trent Brown where he completely obscures the guard. It looks like there's no guard because Trent Brown is so big, <laughs> he blocked him out of the photo. And, and so I think overall, he's probably going to start off a little worse than, than Brown. But I think over the course of the year, he'll get better. And, right. and he'll end up being just as good, I think, overall as Trent Brown. So, uh, cool. all right, dude, any other final takeaways from the game against Indianapolis? Because it, it was the biggie. It was the dress rehearsal. Yeah, um, I, I think the biggest thing to me is what are the 49ers? And, and I think we all want them to be, you know, great. I, I think there are a lot of positive things, especially with the offense. But the the discipline of the team worries me the most. And I saw some of this last year, too. And I was thinking like, oh, you know, it, it'll go away. Um, well, it hasn't. And and now I am a little bit more worried about that. I think everything else is there. You know, it looks like we'll be able to run the ball. It looks like we'll definitely be able to pass the ball. Um, I think on defense, if that pass rush keeps, you know, coming like they did last game, they'll definitely get to some quarterbacks and get them on the ground. Um, we have good, you know, for, for the most part, good coverage on the back end. I think guys will just continuously get better throughout the season. But is the discipline part of it, you know, and you, you, we are costing points where there was drop balls from Selig, uh, you know, the drop ball by uh, Hikatini, um, the errant pass that was, you know, should have been intercepted by Garoppolo over the middle. Um, just things like that where, where we'll end up costing our, ourselves some points. Uh, th- those are the things that kind of worry me, you know, just penalties, the, the holding penalty by Garcon, um, things like that, man, it seems seems like uh, there's these little things that hold them back every game from from putting together a, like a terrific drive or, you know, even versus the Cowboys. You know, we had them in third and long and they let Dak Prescott, you know, scramble right the middle down because, um, you know, Dakota Watson and, and Buckner both stayed outside. You know, just things like that. I, I went to see us clean that up and I didn't see the 49ers clean that up. So I'm a little bit worried about that against the Vikings week one, it's, I guess it's kind of a double-edged sword because last last year against the Vikings, they looked tremendous in the dress rehearsal. I mean, they did everything right and still stuck on the season. So um, we'll see if they can just clean up those, those, those little, you know, those few mistakes and hopefully they change the whole thing around, the whole culture of, of, of these bad plays. It, it can be a really good team. That's going to be the difference between a, a six and 10, seven and nine team or, a nine and seven, ten and six wild card team. It's going to be those those little things that they have to correct in the red zone. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo, he'll he'll get them there. He'll get them to the red zone continuously. But are we going to punch it in for touchdowns? And that's going to they have to be more disciplined. So that's that's kind of my takeaway from that. I didn't like I didn't like that part of it, but I I see I see them heading in the right direction for sure. Just gotta gotta be more disciplined. Well, I think you said it best uh, near near the end there, where you talked about how it was preseason and you know last year it looked great, uh, and then once the regular season hits, it's it's a whole different story. I think, uh, especially for the preseason, you're looking at individual performances, and you know I think the penalties are something to worry about, especially because of of what happened last year. But overall, I think Kyle Shanahan's a great coach, and he's got them headed in the right direction. Eric, right. thanks for joining us, man. Uh, Eric, former NFL and NFL player. Uh, you've got your Twitter at Croc Time, and you've got the Fourth and Nine podcast. Appreciate you coming on, man. All right, man. Thanks for having me. And now, through the magic of editing, we head back to our conversation with Chris Biederman and talk about the decisions the Niners will have to make in order to get down to fifty-three on Saturday. All right, so let's actually get to some of those roster projections because, of course, the Niners have to get down to 53 by Saturday. So they play their final preseason game on Thursday. We'll get to watch a lot of players whose dreams are going to be dashed a few days after that, which always kind of hurts my heart. As I've grown older, I guess I've grown that empathy thing uh, that I (laughs) didn't have when I was younger. Uh, But there, of course, were a couple of key questions that we hoped to answer over the course of training camp. And key among them was who starts at right guard. 
Mike Person has been quietly putting up some great film. He's allowed two total pressures and 91 snaps, mostly against first-team defenses. Uh, and, and this is an athletic guy, and he's been athletic in the run game. We forget that he was top five in the 2011 Combine with a 7.443 cone. That's pretty good, especially for an offensive lineman. Uh, Josh Garnett has improved, but in 60 snaps is graded out just about average, which is about what he's been on his career. Uh, and he's definitely moving better. He is better, I think, in this preseason than he has been over the course of 2016, which was the last time he played. But is it enough to to usurp Mike Person's kind of starting bid? Uh, that That's definitely one of the biggest questions going forward or get going into this weekend for sure. Uh, Kyle Shanahan just said, we just got out of a press conference, that it's Mike Person's job to lose, but Garnett could still end up beating him out. So um, Kyle Shanahan hasn't made that determination yet. At least he hasn't made that determination publicly. But, um, yeah, I think Person has a real good shot at being the, uh, the starting right guard. The question becomes is, is who's going to be the, the backup center? Uh, because the way it's looking right now, Eric Magnuson was the other center behind Weston Richburg, um, and Person was obviously brought in to initially be that backup center before taking over at right guard due to injuries to Garnett and Jonathan Cooper coming back from his knee injury perhaps a little bit slower than the team anticipated. Do you think so, that that's just trade bait, like trade talk, where he's saying you know, he's fluffing up, uh, for lack of a better term, Garnett, so that it's easier to trade him or that he gets a trade partner now after, after some cuts or some, maybe something happens in the final preseason game and he's got a spot to go to? I, I, I mean, maybe, but they, they don't really have any other options. Um, I, I don't know that they have any other viable options along the interior if they move on from Garnett. So... I don't know which direction they're going to go unless, you know, there's always a possibility that they bring someone in, um, someone maybe who was just cut or, you know, they, they brought in Lake and Tomlinson in the trade during final cuts last year. So maybe they, they, you know, do, do that again. Um, yeah, they kind of paid this Detroit year. back maybe. I mean, they've already given him Eli Harold. Uh, maybe they give him a alignment as well. I, I think, honestly, I think the team might just be biding their time. And trying to get Jonathan yeah. Cooper back because they're they're committed to Jonathan Cooper for an, not an insignificant amount of money for a guard. Uh, I think it's like four million, four point eight million dollars or whatever they gave him for one year, which is basically presumptive starter money, right? They expected him, I think, to be the starter. And the only reason, yeah, before before Lake and Tomlinson signed his contract, Cooper was the team's highest paid guard. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think that they're probably going to wait a, a week or maybe two for that knee to come back into full health. And I think maybe sometime before the trade deadline, maybe around final cuts, you see them, uh, you see them kind of get rid of, of Garnett. And this is just part of the process of saying, hey, teams, he's available. Yeah, maybe they like J.P. Flynn or um, Andrew Lauderdale or, or someone like that. But uh, I, don't, I don't see it. I, I think right now Garnett and Cooper both make the team. And um, and it will be really interesting to see what happens at center, uh, because I don't think Garnett or Cooper can play that position. And, and it might just be that they keep they keep person as a reserve uh, just in case anything were to happen to Richburg. Well, one of the things that's interesting about Magnuson is he does become kind of the, the fulcrum of what happens with this offensive line, because what happens with him to get him on injured reserve with a designation to return is that the team actually has to have him make the team and mm-hmm. then put him on IR. So in order to do that, the, you're right. I think the team likely, likely keeps Cooper and Garnett. I think that's probably a given. But when you look at the construction of the offensive line, you're then a little light when it comes to tackles if you're looking at keeping someone like uh, someone like uh, Eric Magnuson just to put him on injured reserve because you've got Staley, Garnett, Richburg, Tomlinson, McGlinchey, Person, Cooper. By the time you get to another tackle, you're looking at Gary Guillam, which is the <laughs> technical pronunciation of his name. I'm not sure if you know that, Chris, but that is <laughs> in, in Gary's native tongue how you pronounce his name, Gary Guillaume. And then okay. you've got, you got Eric Magnuson, but you're, you're a little light on tackles. And uh, Shanahan likes to keep four tackles, and right now you're staring down the barrel of three, and Eric Magnuson can sometimes play tackle, although ineffectively. So when you look at the other players, you're talking about Pace Murphy, Andrew Lauderdale, Daryl Williams Jr. Pace Murphy has the fewest snaps of the three at 88. He played tackle and played along uh, in, in the preseason, but he played along the interior against Indianapolis. Andrew Lauderdale played both left and right tackle against Houston. Daryl Williams, much better run blocker than a pass blocker. He's played 101 snaps this preseason, um, but he hasn't played super well, and he gave up seven pressures and 66 pass snaps, including four against Houston. So it's not looking great at tackle, and, and these are, this is going to be maybe a position where the Niners try to go get someone else. 
Yeah, it could be, and it could also come down to how they feel about other positions. Um, I know we're, we're probably going to dive into other areas on, on the roster, but you know, you look at defensive end or defensive line. You know, do they do they want to keep uh, five five of those guys who play you know three four five technique? Um, you know, is Ronald Blair going to make the team? Or are they going to use that roster spot elsewhere? Is Peter Peter Taumoi Penu? going to make the team or are they going to use his roster spot elsewhere and are they good with just five of those sam leo guys or sorry four of those sam leo guys so yeah i mean it it could come down to if they're willing to make concessions elsewhere on the roster then uh you know then they then maybe they add uh an insurance piece to to that offensive line just so they can like you said eventually bring magnuson back off injured reserve since 2013, which are the offenses that Kyle Shanahan has coordinated, he's kept, on average, nine offensive linemen. He kind of switches between nine and ten. The fewest he's kept is eight, and that was in Cleveland and Washington back in 2013 and 2014. So if we're looking at that kind of at that frequency or number of offensive linemen, and they end up putting Magnuson on IR, they're likely going to add some player somewhere in order to get back up to that you know eight, nine number because they're, I think right now I've got them at about nine offensive linemen, and they probably need... Another one, especially if they if they have a tackle or, or a needed tackle there because they're, they're overloading on guards. But next position I think that's interesting is going to be who wins the battle for the Cole position. We've got two Coles battling out for the backup tight end spot. The Dirty Teeny, Cole Hickatini, uh, or Cole Wick, who's not a name anyone knew before about a week ago when it turns <laughs> out that, hey, you know what? He might actually win a roster spot on this team. Based on what you're seeing and your prediction, who do you think makes the team? Well, I think if Cole Hickettini came down with that touchdown catch in the second quarter of that game on Saturday, I'd, I probably would have said him. And I hate, I would hate. Does for it really my, turn on one play? And I, I mean, I, I haven't. There hasn't been a whole lot to go off of from from either of them, and I haven't had all the practice tape, um, and I can't really evaluate how well Cole Wick has been blocking. But I would say the fact that Cole Wick got the start um, and has been playing with the starters, and the fact Kyle Shanahan has said that that number three spot is still up for grabs. I'm kind of leaning towards Cole Wick just because Hickettini, I, I know he's not a very good blocker. And if he's not going to be making tough catches um, and, you know, key red zone catches for touchdowns, then I don't know what, what his value is. So I think you look at the receiving core, they're, they're going to have plenty of pass catchers, including George Kittle. And, and I know they trust Garrett Selleck and, and Kyle Juszczyk to catch passes. So I don't know that they necessarily need a, a third tight end who's whose really only use is as a pass catcher. So I, I'm kind of leaning towards Cole Wick right now, but that's but I would imagine both are going to play a lot Thursday. And I think that's that's one of the positions or one of the roster spots that, that could be uh, determined by by how that game against the Chargers goes. So Cole Hickettini has played in 82 snaps this preseason. 53 of them have been pass snaps. How many of those of those pass snaps do you think he stayed in to block on? Uh, I would guess zero. Uh, five. So not too far from zero. Uh, The team very much views him as a receiving tight end. And his uh, his pass block grade uh, from Pro Football Focus, 26.3. That's like Jordan Debbie bad. That is not great. And and Hickatini can't even tap the center's leg to get the play started. So he doesn't even meet like the basic (laughs) Jordan Debbie criteria. He's not good as a run blocker. In 24 run blocking snaps, uh, his grade is 43.5. Not good. Incidentally, though, you've got Cole Wick, 12th in the team in overall grade this preseason for the Niners. His pass blocking grade, 75.5, which is above average. Uh, and run block grade is 75 as well. Uh, he hasn't played as much, 39 snaps. So I think maybe the team definitely has seen uh, a good bid. And, and the fact that he's competing and in that competition playing with fewer snaps, I think it, it probably bodes well for Mr. Wick. I think he ends up making the team uh, instead of Hikatini. Yeah, and and I don't think the team would lose Hikatini on waivers. I think they they would get him to the practice squad, and and he would still remain an option in the future. All right, so let's talk about the next big position, and that's going to be defensive back. And I think this is one of the most interesting positions to me because of everyone's positional flexibility. The team has really gone out and and got players like Tarverius Moore, who played safety and is converting to corner, DJ Reed, who played both safety and corner. And while they've been playing primarily at cornerback and slot corner for DJ Reed, they're pretty good safeties. So does having them play safety allow you to skimp on that position and end up rolling with just Colbert and Tart? Or do you think they're going to keep a more traditional safety? Because I think in, in, even in your projection, you had Chancellor James as one of the final 53, and he just got <laughs> released. 
Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You're not going to uh, be graded on the accuracy. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's really interesting. Uh, I think they're only going to roll into the season with one true strong safety in, in Jaquaski Tart. And and I think Tyvis Powell is going to make the team as as a safety um, who can also play cornerback because I think Greg Mabin is, is the team's third corner right now until Tervarius Moore overtakes him, which I would imagine would happen relatively soon. But yeah, I mean, they, they do have a bunch of versatile guys who, who I think they could mix and match if they needed to with injuries. For, for right now, I, I have, you know, Chikwaski Tart, Adrian Colbert, DJ Reed, and, and Tyvis Powell as the team's safeties as long as Jimmy Ward is, is playing cornerback, um, which the coaching staff has been pretty um, stubborn in, in keeping Ward at corner despite probably playing his best football of his career at free safety last year. So, um yeah, I, I I think it's it's definitely going to be interesting. I'm I'm curious to see if if maybe they find a, a true strong safety off the scrap heap because it doesn't look like Marcel Harris is going to play at all this preseason. And I would guess he's either going to go to the practice squad or maybe begin the year on injured reserve. Uh, and if that's the case, then you know if if he's going to make the team and be given the the return designation similar to Magnuson, they're they're going to have to keep someone else too for the time being. So. Um, yeah, it's I I really don't know how it's going to work out, but for right now, I think it's going to be Tyvis Powell, and I'm not ruling out them adding somebody else off the scrap heap after final cuts. Yeah, I think Mabin and Powell are probably the last two guys to to round out the position group, which is really defensive back as a whole. You know, with a number of resources they threw at cornerback because they knew that was definitely a, a deficiency. I think it it makes sense to keep as many of those cornerbacks as you can. It, it does make sense to keep DJ Reed. It does make sense to keep Tarvarius Moore. And and if I think the uh, the other more or McFadden, I'm sorry, not the other more, but if uh, if Tavares McFadden would have shown something, it wouldn't have been a stretch to keep him as well. And and I think that this is one of those instances where the team is trying to throw as many resources and players at this position as possible and see what rises to the top. And I really like that strategy because it's it's one of the most deficient areas of the team thus far. And I think they need to give themselves more opportunities to hit on a player and not just get stuck on one player and think he's going to do it all. Yeah, and and one thing that should be noted, it, it, it's been a while since he said this, but Kyle Shanahan back in back in the offseason program said Jimmy Ward is a possibility to play strong safety. Um, that's before Ward's latest injury, but one of the things that the 49ers like about Jimmy Ward still is, is his positional versatility to play all five secondary spots, including strong safety. So I'm very interested to see, you know, if Jaquaski Tart goes down, who that second strong safety is going to be, because it might be Jimmy Ward, who's obviously dealing with a bunch of injury stuff, but is only 193 pounds. Yeah, and I know that last season, even when you're looking at the the strong safety, free safety, the Niners will rotate them and they will drop what their what their strong safety is into that deep middle and and mm-hmm. bring the the free safety into more of a robber in the middle of the field position. So they do switch every now and again. It, it doesn't happen often, but. I think if they did, they'd probably invert their safeties a little bit more than they did just because I think you're right at 193 pounds. Um, who knows? But hey, man, honestly, Eric Reed's still out there. So if, if things really did hit the fan, uh, apparently as long as Eric Reed's willing to take the minimum, then Shanahan's willing to bring him back. Um, I yeah, think, we'll see. I'm not, I'm not expecting yeah, it. I say that with a chuckle. It's that's that's okay. the sarcasm font in voice. <laughs> okay, I miss that. Yeah, I, I would not expect the 49ers to bring back Eric Reed as as deserving as a, a, a as deserving of a roster spot as he is somewhere. Um, I, right. I don't think he's going to be back with San Francisco. Last two questions: uh, Pita T or Ronnie three? This is Pita Taumoa Penu, which has been taking me a long time to say, but I think I've got it finally. Or Ronald Blair the third. Matt Mayoko does not have Ronald Blair making his 53. Ronald Blair has been solid on 109 snaps, if a tad unspectacular while rushing the passer. He's got four run stops and 46 snaps. That's 10th amongst people with 30 or more run snaps. Uh, But when you look at his pass rushing amongst 27 players with at least 50 pass rush snaps, his pass rushing productivity of a 3.4 is 25th. So basically staring at the basement. Uh, And and so overall, Ronald Blair has been okay. Peter Talmanapenu is... A different kind of player, different kind of skill set. He's only got 33 snaps, so super small sample size. But there was a play against Indy where he was just screaming around the edge and completely blew by the left tackle, didn't get the sack, but did get a hit on the quarterback. And, and I'm, I'm curious whether you think the team is going to keep that skill set or whether you think they're going to go with kind of their, their old faithful and, and the player they know in Ronald Blair. 
Well, to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if neither made the team. Um, and I know we talked about, you know, in uh, guys getting the, the reserve, the return te- designation off injured reserve if they needed roster spots for that. Um, I imagine that might be the, those two guys might be might be the guys on the wrong side of that. Um, for right now, I think I would take Blair just because, um, you know, Mar- J- Cassius Marsh, Jeremiah Tauchu, Dakota Watson, Mark and Zacha, so those seem like the five outside Sam Leo guys that they would make active on game days. And I don't know necessarily that they would need Talmo and Penu in that, in that scenario. And I think he would make it back to the practice squad, so they wouldn't risk losing him if he didn't make the team. Um, Blair, on the other hand, plays behind a bunch of guys who uh, have dealt with injury issues. Solomon Thomas just had the concussion. Eric Armstead has, has dealt with injuries throughout his career. Um, and Julian Taylor had a long list of knee injuries in college, as good as he's been. Um, so I think Blair would offer insurance at that position that might be more needed than uh, than Taumoi Penu at outside linebacker because um, he has practice squad eligibility still and, and Blair does not. And I guess the team has shown that they really don't feel like they need a speed rusher off the edge. Uh, and, <laughs> and if they did, uh, I, I think they think they can get that elsewhere. All right, last question in terms of the kind of roster decisions that are going to dictate the 53, and that's going to be which which specialist makes it based on special teams. Uh, and this is non-kicker or snapper specialist. But we've got Raheem Moster, Elijah Lee, or Aaron Burbridge. Which one of these is not like the other? Moster's going to make it. Um, I think Elijah Lee is going to make it because of Ruben Foster's suspension. Um, and I don't think Aaron Berber is going to make it. I thought, I thought going in to training camp and, and probably the first two weeks of the preseason Burbridge was going to make it. Uh, but I think Richie James is, is just too good to, to risk losing by trying to get him to the practice squad. I think he's going to end up making the team. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, Kendrick Bourne, you know, they might, the Niners might be able to keep, um, Richie James and Aaron Burbridge by getting rid of Kendrick Bourne. Uh, assuming they keep six receivers, which which is the most likely scenario. So, uh, yeah, I think Mostert's their best special teams player. I think Lee uh, is definitely more likely to make the team than Corey Toomer, mostly because of what he does on special teams. Um, and Burbridge, it's it's tough to say because he's still you know one of the team's top gunners, and and he definitely has more special teams value than Kendrick Bourne. So um, so maybe that's the avenue to Burbridge making the team. Yeah, I think the team ends up parting ways with Burbridge. I think I think it's basically Burbridge or Mostert, and it's one of those two guys that ends up being the primary special teams guy. I just I know that Shanahan spoke so highly of Kendrick Bourne last year, and they didn't want to expose him to waivers. He's done some pretty good things, and and I think he's continued his progression. And I think the team really really likes him. I'd be surprised if they cut him. But I think at this point, they also can't cut Richie James. I got them. I have them keeping six receivers as well. Both Bourne and James make it. And, and Burbridge, I think, uh, ends up seeding it to one of the younger guys that the team thinks can maybe fill in that special teams role. Because I think special teams as a skill, is, is it's good to have a great one. But this is the reason that young players play there is because that's, it's a fairly replaceable skill. Um, and it's a skill that, you know, when, in the grand scheme of things, you'd rather have someone like Richie James than necessarily someone like uh, Aaron Burbridge. Yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah. All right, well, I, I, I got to uh, run. Though. Yeah, I know you've got yeah, the locker rooms opening up. You've got to get in there. Yep. Uh, the doors are opening. So thanks again, Chris, uh, and uh, have a good one. All right, thanks, man. Appreciate you. Bye. That does it for this week's show. I'm super excited about the announcement at the top of the show about being an official SB Nation podcast. I've been waiting a bit to, to make that announcement, and I'm happy that now we can let you guys know and, and be a bit more transparent about what's going on with the feed. Thanks again to our guests, Chris Biederman and Eric Crocker. You can always follow me at Better Rivals. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.